Ohana to the Disney Guys Uncensored. This is episode 51, recorded on March 9th, 2020. We're your hosts, Drew, Bob, and Tim. And on tonight's episode, we take a ride on an imaginary Marvel and legendary attraction, Space Mountain. So come, journey with us to the edge of the galaxy and back as we take an exhilarated trip aboard Space Mountain. And let's start the show off with BuzzTube. Hey, Thor! Thor! If I can just find Thor! Oh, there you are. All right, guys, you have been voting. You have been paying attention. Um, Disney Character Madness. That is our big promotion game contest not really any of those things but it's there for you guys to vote and have fun and uh it has been um something else guys i, I gotta say um some major upsets happening here in round two so if if, if you did vote thank you right we, we're all over instagram twitter and our google polls and i want to walk you through some of uh the recapping of round two right so over in adventure land we had uh, the number three Wrecked Ralph was upsetted by Simba, who I think I kind of uh, underestimated. Um, he's an 11 seed. He seems like he's not stopping anytime soon. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about Adventureland is um, a big battle is is potentially being set up for Olaf versus Anna. Um, over in Fantasyland, uh, Tim. Nothing but upsets in Fantasyland. Number one, Elsa. Number two, Stitch. Number three, Aladdin are all out. What's going on? What's wrong I with these people? I have no idea. And none of them were even that close. I mean, all at least a 10-vote margin they got voted out by. Uh, you know, Elsa, maybe I see it. Aladdin, whatever. He played Moana. Sure. Stitch, I, I'm shocked. And, and And the people that brought Stitch down who's looking to be a fan favorite of the whole Disney character madness, the seven dwarfs, not one of them, all seven of them. They, that, that could be, um, that could be the tough one to take yeah. down. I think it was a man advantage thing, you know, seven <laughs> versus one. Too many players on the field. Uh, but over to uh, Bob's favorite here, the main street USA, uh, the number one seed, number two round draft pick genie is, um, He's still dominating, Bob. I mean, I guess you either knew what you were, were doing or you got a little lucky. I don't I don't know, but well done there. I, I think it's matchup contingent. I mean, in the first round, Aladar, I don't know if there's 10 people that know who he is. And in the second round, I was surprised that Scar didn't have a better showing. But, I mean, like Tim said in his, I mean, Genie and, and Scar wasn't even close. Like, that was 60-vote difference, I think. So, I mean, it was something absurd that genie won by we'll see he's got a he's got a tough matchup with ursula in the next round so that should uh, be fun we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens yep and then your number two jiminy cricket and number three tinkerbell have both um been eliminated so you you'd, yeah a lot of well, high seats I, taken down I, I think what happened there is uh jiminy cricket ran into an all-time classic villain in captain hook and Tinkerbell got beat by apparently one of the most popular princesses going in Rapunzel. I know mm-hmm. Tim had some choice words for me when I drafted her uh, right before his pick yes. uh, at to, to the Main Street Regionals. So um, I'm looking at probably if I if I had to guess, 
uh, I would project a Genie versus Rapunzel uh, Elite Eight matchup for uh, for Main Street USA. That'd be a doozy. Um, and then over in Tomorrowland, um, we got Jordana's Pit, whose theory of if you pick your favorites, the 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 fans will vote the same way. Um, did not work out well for her. Her number one bell uh, was taken down by Baymats, which um, he's a solid character. No problem with that. But what's shocking the world is Bustin' Brackets is the number 12 Lilo is absolutely dominating um, anybody she goes up against. I mean, how long can this go on for? I, I don't know. Time will tell. Uh, I'll be honest probably, with you. I, at least all the way to the Elite Eight, you know? <laughs> True. Yeah, I... I have to think that uh, Lilo is the biggest surprise left here, and, and that's and that's just overall. I, I just don't. I, I whatever it. The people have spoken. I mean, no offense, but you people are stupid. I mean, hundred percent, hundred percent. I can't make heads or tails out of what the hell you people are doing to Disney character madness. But thank you. Uh, the response has been great, and, and it's been fun to watch. We it's, we are shocked at how many votes we are getting, and more votes for round two than round one. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, you guys keep telling your friends, keep getting people to vote, because uh, this is awesome. I, I agree, and it absolutely is madness. And to Tim's point, we are getting, um, again, thousands of votes, more than we could ever have hoped and imagined for. So thank you, um, and definitely spread the word. And look for all of round three, to s- the action to start today when you're listening to this. All of that is going to be ready to go. So make sure you head over onto like I did, Instagram, or, um, follow us, the Disney Guys Uncensored, and our story. We'll be having these here to vote. You can go over to Twitter for some Twitter polls. And then lastly, our Google polls um, will have all the battle cards up there so you can vote as well, which will be linked to our Facebook page, the show notes, and um, everywhere else you can find us. So, again, thanks for all the voting, but keep voting, voting, voting. And now let's head on over to the Disney News Desk. Yes, welcome to the Disney News Desk. Uh, congratulations are in order to Wine Bar George, Paddlefish, Morimoto Asia, and STK Steakhouse for being among the top 25 most beautiful restaurants in Orlando, as voted on by Orlando uh, Orlando Weekly. Ultimately, I couldn't figure out the criteria for why these are the top in the top 25, but uh, to me, they're all really nice restaurants, especially Morimoto Asia. Uh, really, I mean, if, it, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's really beautiful, and even Wine Bar George as well. So, so really, all, all four of the ones in the, in, uh, in the top twenty-five are, are fantastic picks from uh, from Downtown Disney or Disney Springs, if that's your preference. Uh, performances of Mickey's Royal Friendship Fair will be reduced as work get underway on the new look Cinderella Castle paint job today. So uh, beginning today, March 9th, or technically yesterday when you're listening to this, performances will be reduced from five per day to three per day. Showtimes will initially be at 5.15, 6.30, and 7.30 p.m. Any additional shows may be slotted into the schedule if possible. I guess it depends on where the work is being done, if they can sneak in other shows. Disney also announced this week a new springtime offer for guests looking to stay at the Fort Wilderness campsites. 
Save 20% on all types of fully equipped campsites most Sunday through Thursday nights, March 29th through May 21st, when you book by May 21st, 2020. Campsite types eligible for this offer can accommodate everything from traditional tents to luxury RVs. Be sure to give Jordana a call at Travelmation for any deals you see. The chief medical officer of Disney Parks Experiences and Products has released a statement detailing some of the measures that Disney is taking to keep guests as safe as possible during the coronavirus outbreak with health and safety protocols, including training for cast members with ongoing reinforcement on a regular basis, defined cycles for frequent cleaning and disinfection of targeted areas, easy access to hand-washing facilities and hand sanitizers, quick response to spills, trash, and other situations, end-of-day sanitation procedures for restroom, kitchen, and other facilities, and frequent cleaning and washing down of outdoor locations, including walkways and queues. Hmm. Along that same line, Disneyland Paris has released an official statement regarding its first confirmed case of COVID-19 amongst cast members. Statement read, a message about coronavirus COVID-19 from Dr. Cyril Womberg and Dr. Nicholas Duport, medical doctors for Disneyland Paris. As you may know from the news, COVID-19, commonly known as novel coronavirus 2019, has become a more widespread concern. As part of our commitment to the health and well-being of our cast, guests, and the larger community, we are carefully, carefully monitoring this evolving situation and are in regular contact with health agencies for information and guidance. Disneyland Paris is welcoming guests as usual, and we continue to implement preventative measures in line with the recommendations of health authorities. Disneyland Paris has high standards of cleanliness, which assists with illness prevention, and we have health and safety protocols in place. They then went on to speak about the measures that we had just talked about from Disney as a whole. Uh, scary times, scary stuff. Uh, hopefully we get it under control fairly quickly. Um, I know Italy, when we were coming on the air here, Italy went ahead and uh, pretty much shut down all of Italy. Uh, so it, it's interesting Israel did the same this afternoon. Yeah. Um, no no yep. one who has been outside of the country and anyone, any Israeli citizen returning to the country uh, has to be quarantined for 14 days, regardless of where they are traveling mm-hmm. uh, from. Yes. Now, did you hear, uh, nope. I guess the Walt Disney Company has hired as a contractor a former uh, CDC official from the Obama administration to uh, consult uh, at the top level, um, at like the corporate level, not just the parks level, about disney's uh response to uh covid19 well good i I think they should i did not hear that but i think it's good that um there are some companies and some larger entities taking this as seriously as we probably should and that is not a thinly veiled attack in anyone in particular Haunted Mansion was closed for almost five days this week as some of the cars did not pivot for the descent from the attic scene Cast members had to wait for Reedy Creek to arrive to free the guests from the broken cars. No injuries were reported, but we do remind you, for future reference, if Pirates of the Caribbean ends up breaking down, the pirates do not eat the tourists. (laughs) Also, Haunted Mansion had to be evacuated again today, remarkably, for an entirely different reason. Someone or something spooky left a maintenance door open. Perhaps one of the 99... 
999 Happy Haunts is now roaming the park freely. In other mediocre news, monorail service to Epcot was interrupted Sunday afternoon after the doors of Monorail Coral reportedly wouldn't close while in the station. The Epcot monorail line was completely closed for most of the afternoon. No injuries were reported. However, according to most reports, the trains had been loaded and guests needed to be removed from the cabins. And in still more news, Pixar's Onward opened up this past weekend and led the box office with a $40 million North American debut and another $28 million worldwide for a total of $68 million. Kind of a disappointment for Pixar, and if all the totals do hold, as projected, it will be Pixar's lowest opening ever in terms of tickets sold. It will be interesting, guys, to see how it plays out over the next few weeks, especially with fears uh, of COVID-19 continuing to plague society and many nations around the world. Uh, but the numbers are not that far off, and I know, Tim and Andrew, I, I shared an article with you guys um, earlier from Forbes that kind of had projected the numbers to be around $45, $47 million mm-hmm. in North American for the weekend. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess it's not hugely surprising for industry insiders that it did this way. But I think a bigger question is, what does this do for Mulan in a few weeks, Tim, especially with China still under a pretty serious quarantine? And and I I would think China was probably going to be a big market for Mulan. Yeah, I mean, we know that they made changes to Mulan and tailored a lot of things in the story to make sure that Mm -hmm. film was going to do well in that market. And, I mean, you literally aren't allowed to go to the movies in a vast majority of that country. It's the second biggest film market in the world. And Korea mm-hmm. is right behind them in film market, another country that's heavily quarantined. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I, I think Mulan is going to end up looking like one of the biggest blocks, box office flops ever, regardless of how mm-hmm. good or bad that movie is. It, it, Correct. It, it could, and, and I think my one take on it is right. So, and, and I don't want to get this into a James Bond move, uh, you know, podcast. But if you look at what they did with there, right? They they posted, they moved it from April to November, where. Mm-hmm. Um, Disney's a much bigger company. Disney has a studios with a plan, right? They probably have a five year, maybe more plan of when they're releasing movies for the next five years. So it's not easy for them to just say, we're going to move Mulan from now to November. It's not that simple because in November they might have something else coming out. And and in June they have something else coming out. And and, in 2021 they have something else. So I, I, I mean, I get it from a business point of view. It's going to hurt. But unfortunately, uh, I, I don't think there's much you can do. I think you just gotta you gotta move forward with the plan. You gotta push it out, and you gotta see what happens. You know. Well, to to, to that point, um, the the final trailer for uh, Black Widow came out either uh, yesterday or the day before, and uh, they put out a press release that said they they know what happened with James Bond. Disney is not moving any release dates. Uh, they they mm-hmm. recognize the coronavirus, its impact on cinema. Literally, they have a plan. They have a release schedule that goes five years in the future, and they can't move anything. So I expect all their release dates that they've announced over the past two years to be stuck to no matter what happens. Absolutely. Yeah, I would actually tell you right now, projecting that I think Mulan will be written down as an overall loss for the company. Um, if if it stays the way uh, – if, if, if this – uh, quarantine projects out the way it is supposed to project out or project it out right now, I would see Mulan being a loss for the company uh, in the interim. I, I certainly will see them taking a write-off on it. And I don't think it'll be a write-off like uh, Mars Needs Moms or or John Carter of Mars, but I, I think it will be 
uh, a little bit of a loss for the company. Uh, but I don't think it's going to stop. I think you're right. So in other onward news, it is being reported that the picture will not be shown in Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia for its depiction of a same-sex relationship. Kudos to neighboring Middle Eastern nations, Bahrain, Lebanon, and Egypt, among others, for showing the film in its entirety. Apparently, humanity isn't quite dead yet. On to Space Mountain, everybody. giant step dedicated to the men and women whose skills sacrifice courage and teamwork open the door to the exploration of man's exciting new frontier outer space because they dare to reach for the stars and the planets man's knowledge of his universe earth and himself has been greatly enriched presented by missile space and range pioneers this the 15th day of January 1975. So reads the dedication plaque of Space Mountain, perhaps the most iconic mountain Walt Disney Imagineering has ever developed. This legendary attraction was in development for almost 15 years prior to its opening, and when it finally did open in January of 75, it rocketed to the top of the list of thrill seekers everywhere. It has become a rite of passage for children to shoot for the moon for the first time. And over the next few minutes, the Disney guys, uncensored, are going to shine a spotlight on Space Mountain. All the while, sharing stories of our first rides and offering anecdotes of some of our favorite memories surrounding this legendary attraction. Let's go to Tim, who's going to give us a general overview of this Space Mountain. All right. Thanks, Bob. Um, so like most things at Walt Disney World, uh, it all started with Walt. Uh, he had the idea for a space-themed roller coaster after the success of the Matterhorn bobsleds in 1959 at uh, Disneyland. Um, there was a number of limitations, um, and the company's focus would end up postponing the ride until the late 60s. But after the success of the Magic Kingdom in the early 70s, Disney looked back at the idea of building a thrill ride in the Magic Kingdom. And they decided that the best way to go would be to build a not to build a clone of the Matterhorn. And instead, they decided to revisit Disney's space themed project, uh, Space Mountain, since advances in the technology that made it not possible uh, made it possible now, and the ride opened in 1975. Genius uh, marketing uh, there, Bob, huh? We talked a little bit about that earlier, right around the time, you know, Star Wars coming out, everyone's excited for this space technology. Well, so, Star Wars was 77, which is when Disneyland's Space Mountain opened. Correct. But yeah, people were definitely excited about space in the, uh, the late 70s, a lot of sci-fi, a lot of stuff like that going on. Space Mountain has gone uh, undergone a number of changes since it first opened. Uh, there was a complete replacement of the trains in 1989 and another replacement in 2009. Uh, and then incremental upgrades just with modern roller coaster technology throughout the years it's been opened. Uh, and then it's also seen 
a lot of cosmetic uh, renovations, especially in its queue and post-show, um, which were largely facilitated uh, by its changing corporate sponsors over the years, which we'll get into a bit later. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I, I think from an overview point of view, um, the Walt's vision was was something, you know, that the Matterhorn did, right? Because, you know, if you look at the Matterhorn, it's it's very identical in as far as ride system, ride mechanics, right? It has uh, the tube steel tracks. It has uh, almost identical or at the time, I believe it was identical um, ride cars. And uh, it, it's definitely one of those. It's a thrill ride. But it's not like roller coasters you know nowadays, right? It, it's definitely more of the, you know, the camel humps and um, the, the the turns and uh, I don't want to say scenery, but it's definitely not that super fast paced. It, it's more of the 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 trick of making you go faster with the sharp and whippy turns than just the, there's the speed no loop. itself. Yeah, there's no loops, there's no corkscrews, none mm. of that. The, the the kind of Bush Gardens, Universal Studios coaster Absolutely. stuff yeah. where the thrill oh, yeah. comes from the g-forces absolutely it's definitely still a disney ride yeah uh, yeah. yeah so let's let's move on into tim some of like the the early concepts and the actual design of space mountain itself and then you know how it kind of uh, mingled all together sure so as we said previously as you just mentioned uh it's a direct descendant of uh the first disney mountain the matterhorn which is one of the only mountains that doesn't have mountain in its name um and the Matterhorn success convinced Walt that uh, thrill rides did have a place in Disney World. Uh, in 1964, Walt was approached by John Hench with his idea for a new attraction that would become the focal point of the Tomorrowland renovation planned for 1967. Again, this is all planned at Disneyland at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, his idea was a spaceport that would include a roller coaster style ride in the dark with lighting and special effects. It was going to be called Space Voyage originally, and the concept artwork was done by Hench, uh, Clem Hall, George McGinnis, and Herb Ryman, some of the original Imagineers. Um, The attraction concept continued to be refined over the years by WED Enterprises, and in June 1966, the Spaceport attraction was referred to as Space Mountain for the first time. Uh, WED partnered with the Aero Development Company, the same company that helped design the uh, Matterhorn's ride system. And the initial concept was to have four separate tracks, uh, but with the technology available at the time, the combined amount of space required versus what was available made the design impossible for Disneyland. Uh, Just like a lot of stuff at Disneyland, space constraints uh, determined a lot of the early Disneyland design. Uh, When Walt died in 66, the emphasis was on preparing for Disney World, so they shelved Space Mountain indefinitely. Uh, The Magic Kingdom's early success and its unexpected popularity with teens and young adults prompted Wed to begin planning thrill rides for the park shortly after it opened in 1971. And I think think that's pretty big, right? I mean, that's a pretty big moment, right, for for Disney and and I think Walt's original vision of, of what Disney was. Right. As general, I think this was was the ride that kind of pushed Disney into those those thrill rides. Yeah. I mean, it was you know? it was the first mountain in Disney World. It was the first roller coaster in uh, Walt Disney World. 
so yeah, definitely, definitely pushed them down that path. And now we see that being a real core competency of the parks. Well, so, that's uh, what people want. I mean, yeah. unfortunately, people like the thrill rides. I mean, there's not many rides nowadays that that you know are sure. just the typical dark rides or things like that, right? Yeah, no, for sure. Although I feel like, not to get off topic, I feel like we're kind of returning to that with Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railroad and uh, True. Rise of the Resistance. Uh, oh, so the yeah. so the designers returned to Space Mountain. Uh, as Magic Kingdom's Tomorrowland had much more available land and computer technology had improved significantly since they originally were brainstorming it in the early 60s. Uh, the interior of the structure, the queue area and the tracks uh, and the pre-show all went through a lot of different designs and iterations. And originally, all that stuff was supposed to be in the southern portion of Tomorrowland and instead, it was placed outside uh, the berm that separates the park from the surrounding area, uh, due, west, due east of Cinderella Castle, and a tunnel called the Star Tunnel under the Walt Disney World Railroad tracks was installed for people to reach it, uh, and the Carousel of Progress stands in the original plan location. Yeah, I mean, ab- absolutely. Um I think what what Walt did there, literally, even though he wasn't around to see it, um, I think the idea of him even wanted to do that. I think he knew up front, right, that it wasn't the technology that you said wasn't there, um, but it changed the future of, I think, Walt Disney Parks as a whole. Um, Good or bad. I mean, I I think good, but um, game changing concept, game changing attraction that I think really pushed the envelope um, moving forward from that point on. So really the seventies was, was after that, everything was geared towards that. Um, so, all right, let's see if you guys are good there, as far as Bobby, anything else to add? You want to talk about the concept or overview or history? No, I think you guys did a good job covering it there. I mean, I would love to have seen a concept that had four separate tracks. I mean, this oh. building itself is 180 feet tall and 300 feet in diameter. I mean, how much bigger would it have to be for four separate tracks? That's but incredible to think would, that's what they were going to do with it. And when you think about that, Bob, it's a, don't get me wrong, massive building, but it's really not mm-hmm. that big when you think about what's inside of it. You know, like you said, two fully operational roller coasters. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if the original plan with the four different tracks were different experiences, because that's now, you know, the two tracks are identical. They're just mirrors of each other. Mm-hmm. Correct. I mean, I think we'll get to it in a little bit, but I think some of the initial design, too, was for, and if you've seen the original concept art, and I believe Marty Sklar in, in one of his books even referenced it, that Space Mountain was going to be an outdoor roller coaster. It was going to be... Um, outside of the building on top of the dome and that's how it was going to be and Mm -hmm. they just they couldn't get their heads around or or engineering or imaginary couldn't get their heads around the idea of this building housing the attraction and i think we'll get to the the general uh, you know why the construct the construction beams are on the outside of the building and not the inside of the building Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff about this building in general, uh, not the least of which, if you ever wondered why there's such a dip in the queue, it is because you are leaving the park to to get to Space Mountain's ride building. And that's just, that's mind-blowing stuff. Because when you enter, when you walk up to Space Mountain and you walk in the door, 
by right you're in the park when you get into that downhill and then go back up that is you going underneath the train tracks and then coming back up on the other side so it's a really interesting concept and it's not the only place that disney has built stuff outside of their uh park boundaries Mm -hmm. as it were so it it certainly is a fun place I, i would love to have seen this end up where carousel of progress is i mean that would just be a mind-blowing thing to have i mean it's kind of in the front of the park when you pull up anyway but can you imagine this being the welcoming beacon you almost think that would have taken away from cinderella castle if it had been oh yeah at where carousel of progress is that's a completely different location visually when you pull up to the park i mean that would that would change everything about the layout of the park in my opinion but i think we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit so yeah, absolutely. So, so to that, let, let's just talk and kind of walk us through, I guess, the ride experience, right? Um, and know a better way to start with the queue. Because I think the queue itself, though it might not be, you know, for us, our top 10 queue, uh, it's definitely one of the most iconic queues, at least for me, uh, with a lot of memories, I think. Whether it's standing in the line or whether it's running through the line or, or single rider or whatever it might be, your fast pass. Um, actually, they don't even have Sinnoh right. Yeah, they don't have um, But but the the queue itself starts right. It has uh, the visitors that you enter this this large kind of type building right, which is kind of opens itself up and it, it's kind of a um, it's kind of a some staircase that wind down. It has uh, reminds you of the old McDonald's ball pit, except the uh, they're all silver balls um, kind of forming the the bottom. So I think it does a good job of setting the stage right away that something's a little different. It's definitely got that um, galactic, I guess you could say, feeling. Um, it contains, like, uh, you know, the star map. Um, and then once you get down all the stairs and you kind of start entering the star tunnel, let's say, it, it like Bob just alluded to, it actually dips down and takes um, the guests under the railroad. Um, so kind of cool to think about that, that you're actually going, um, you know, underneath it. Um, and at this point, you know, the post-show tunnel is actually running parallel to the queue. So they kind of dual purpose that as well. Um, so then you start to ascend. You actually go, you're going up quite a bit. You don't know it because it's such a large tunnel. And you pass by some space windows, which um, features, you know, the planets and spaceships. Um, kind of that three-dimensional type spherish um, feel that they're trying to go for. Tricks the eyes a little bit. Kind of cool. And yeah, then, I believe that the word looking for there is a convexed window. Yeah. And, and concaved, they are convexed and concaved, so you do get some additional depth with those quote unquote space windows. It's a really unique design, Andrew. I think you hit on something here is that I, I don't know that we didn't give it love when we did the top 10 cues, um, but it's like a low key great cue. Um, mm-hmm. it, it sets the theme for the attraction very well. It, yeah, it's it is a almost very as if, cue. yeah, it's almost as if you are, and maybe this is by design. You are a an astronaut, and you are taking that long walk. And if you've seen Hidden Figures and 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 some various scenes in that movie where the astronauts are walking up to the rocket and they have to, you know, strap on their gear, it, I, I almost feel. And this might be, uh, you know, where I, I kind of lean towards Mission Space and how that feels. Spaceship, or, uh, spaceship, uh, Space Mountain, sorry, was that first real space experience. I mean, you, you had Mission to Mars and Voyage to the Moon uh, across the plaza over at the old uh, Stitch's Great Escape Theater there. 
but you really got a sense that when you were taking that walk, that you were going to rocket to the moon, that you were going Mm -hmm. to space. And it's really, it's, it's, Talking about it now, I feel like we definitely screwed up that top ten list because this Q really is well, is it, well done. It, but it's we never well did key, a top great. ten Q list. We did top ten rides, right? So I think that was that the is problem. true. So the Q was was part of our our judging, right? But I mean, you, I, I got to ask you this, guys. I mean, the the the, the line Q itself hasn't changed a lot over the years, right? A few minor things. But I mean, it's a forty five year old line Q where. The Imagineers are trying to design something that makes you feel, you know, like I said, galactic and space and futuristic. Uh, I think it does a decent job holding up. I mean, what are, you, what are your f- original thoughts, right? When you enter that thing, I know it's hard. We've been through it, you know, tons of times, but I think it holds up pretty well. Yeah, I, I don't think they really – they didn't do too many things in it that date itself, kind of like the futuristic stuff in Spaceship Earth really – got so dated to the point where now it has to has had to be covered up for the last couple of years. Sp- Spaceship Earth or Space Mountain is much more uh, the Q area is much more just like a generic uh, sci-fi like sci-fi book almost feel of, of the, the future. So it, it doesn't date itself. And the other thing is you can't overrate the fact that as a dark, fully indoor air conditioned Q in the magic kingdom that is very nice a lot of times of the year no, I, you're, you're absolutely right no no i i, I agree i so, think so, i think so, people so in some i think you're yeah go ahead bob no i think you're right though in the sense of and i think we can all speak to Tomorrowland in a larger sense has undergone uh, two or three different iterations, and I think they're actually doing it again now, where mm-hmm. initially it was very sci-fi heavy. Everything was white and, and very sterile in, in, in Tomorrowland, and Space Mountain worked, okay? They they went very, um, I think it was 1994-ish, if my, if my math is right, I think it was 1994, they did the new Tomorrowland, where it was very Buck Rogers-y, it was very... 50s style sci-fi and guess what space mountain worked the queue worked then it went to where it was a continuously operating city of the future and space mountains queue and space mountain worked and whatever they're doing now building tron next door and with with a very disjointed story now where it's pretty much pixar's version of Tomorrowland, space mountains queue still works and i think that is what you have to look at i think that is the thing that to keep in mind that as Tomorrowland has grown and transitioned to different theming elements Space Mountain has virtually stayed the same. And there's been some cosmetic and paint jobs and mm-hmm. various things. And and the ride system overall has obviously, like Tim said earlier, been updated with newer technology. But the structure and the overall fabric, quote-unquote, of its being is, is essentially the same as it was in 1975. And that is a testament to how good those Imagineers were when they designed Space Mountain. So, so let, that's a, a bit, well, let me ask you that. Is it what is that a genius Imaginarian design feature that the simplicity of it will sustain, or is it a little bit of luck involved? Just that the changes adapted well with it. I think it's an Imaginarian thing. The the fact that Space Mountain, the ride, the queue, 
the the building, the gift store, all of it, it it's supposed to be a spaceport, like a space airport. Yep. It's just fit into every iteration because at the end of the day, the story of Tomorrowland is still that it is a city or a convention center of the future in its various iterations, and all of those things need a space airport. So so it's just True. worked, and that was definitely planned by the Imagineers. I think that's Disney and Journal, not to rough on a soapbox, but I think that's the beauty of Imagineering rides. And, and Bob, you're gonna you're gonna you're not gonna believe the words coming out of my mouth, but when when you have a non-IP type attraction, it's gonna mm-hmm. sustain. You know, look at look at look at Big Thunder Mountain, look at Splash Mountain, look at Space Mountain, look at all the mountains, right? Those well, are well, I mean per- Splash Mountain to be fair does have an IP. Yeah. I mean it does. Well, it, it's got a, a very little known well, IP, I, but it does I think have that's an IP. Key, though. They they picked an IP that's not a well known it's not that it's not well known, but I think it even for young kids it's 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 just it doesn't it's have to be an IP. It's not Snow White Splash Mountain. I understand what you're saying. You're absolutely you know, right. Uh, so, to tell a story that isn't tied to a specific um Let's just pick on it again. Alien Encounter was a great attraction for many reasons in Tomorrowland. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a story that Disney had told before, despite the similarities to the Alien movie franchise. When Stitch went in there, it immediately dated itself to 2006, or whenever the hell Stitch came out, whenever it was. It immediately dated itself to when Lilo and Stitch came out. Space Mountain is an evergreen thing. It doesn't have that attachment. It's just a journey to space. It is so simple and yet so elegantly done that I I just, uh, talking about it, I I just, I wish I could go on the ride right now because it's such a great, great attraction for that corner of the park. And and I I personally can't wait to my speculative uh, time that it's going to be down once, once, Tron opens up in a year and a half. I'm I'm looking forward to Space Mountain getting a little bit of a facelift and seeing what they do to bring it into the 21st century. Because I'm curious on what they're going to do with it. Well, especially being next to Tron, it's going to have to hold up. And and don't get me wrong, it's a different type of attraction. But you're Mm -hmm. now having the state-of-the-art roller coaster, and you're going to have it next to a ride that's 45, almost 50 years old. I agree, Bob. They're going to have to do something. um, to. And what was that last refurb? I think 09-ish. Yep, that major. was the last major refurb. Yeah, it was two thousand and nine. So, so we're due. Might, I think they're due. You are. I think the one before that was eighty nine. So I mean, you, you probably could get a few more years out of it, but we'll have to wait mm-hmm. and see. Um, all right. So, anyways, back to the the, the line queue itself. So, if you remember back, they used to have um for the standby riders that were kind of in this massive line because let's be honest, for the 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 people that was your first timer, that tunnel was never ending, right? It felt like you were going eight oh. miles. <laughs> Um, but, um, they had these, these little various 90 second long video games, um, that were in the line queue that were hosted by a robot that kind of is operating Space Mountain's Mission Control Center. Um, and they kind of had the, you know, it was, it was kind of like the old school, like Missile Command, asteroid, right? Asteroid, asteroid, yeah, asteroid, yeah, they were all very, uh, Space yep. Invaders, all yep. variations. Yeah, yeah similar stuff like to that, yeah. Yeah, Really absolutely. cool, though. Really hey. fun. You know, it, it's another way to pass time while you're in there. Um, absolutely very cool. So, and, so I will say, when they pulled these out, I did not realize it had to do with the Play Disney Parks Act. I personally have observed people that these would hold up the standby line. That is true, People would too. wait until they finished their 90-second iteration of a given game because it also gave high scores. 
before moving right. on. So that's why I thought they pulled him out is that it was holding up the standby line, which already is one of the longest standby lines consistently yep. in the park. Great. Are you are either of you guys a Disney um, parts a uh, play app guy? Uh, you know, you guys use that when you're in lines or not really? No, uh, not really. No, so I, no, I mean I have never used it extensively. I'll be honest with you. I think the politically correct thing for them to say is, "Oh no, look, we gave you Disney Parks Play app. It, it it's great." I, I I do side with Tim in this regard. I think it probably had a lot to do with the fact that it was holding up the queue more than it was helping the queue. Mm-hmm. I, I I agree there. Are um, you a Disney Parks Play app guy, Drew? I I am not. I am not. Um. There's, there's too much going on. I want to just look at the line cues. You have kids that need cotton candy and popcorn. and Yeah, no, I am not. Maybe someday. We'll see. Um, I, I'm going to try it out whenever I make it to Galaxy's Edge because I heard they've done some really great stuff. No, see, they've taken that to another level there. I think that's I think that's a topic for another day, to, you know, the whole play app in general. But um, I agree. So once so you get to the... That down. I'll write that down, boys. Play <laughs> once you get episode. to the never-ending um, Star Tunnel... You're kind of into this. It, it kind of does feel like a space loading dock to myself. You know, I play a lot of video games mm-hmm. like this. Stuff. I feel like I'm like almost like in a loading dock of um yeah like of, of spaceships, right? So uh, you, the first thing you see is you see your little ride mechanics on each side of you, and you can actually split, right? So you can hear well before that you hear the mission control, which you kind of hear the speakers and the monitors, like it's like a real spaceport activity, mm-hmm. kind of like you would at an airport. So it, it immediately puts you into the environment. Um, you're seeing it, the, the the room opens up. You've been stuck in this tunnel for maybe you know over an hour, and now all of a sudden it's bam, you're in you're in a giant space that that's loading dock. Um, and it, the line splits, right? So there, there are two separate tracks, right? There's the left track, which is known as the Alpha, and the right track that's known as the Omega. They are identical, um, so don't worry about which way you go or I want to go that way. Whatever way is shorter, um, just just go for that. Now, yeah, occasionally you don't actually have a choice. Sometimes they right. just only have one side open, depending on when you go. Uh, just for reference point, Alpha's track is 10 feet longer due to its positioning uh, to the load hill, the way it turns. It is 10 feet longer, so if you you want that extra 10 feet, go Alpha. That's the <laughs> that's the only uh, real key difference there. But those 10 feet are just 10 extra feet of track in the like loading area when it pulls you around the longer corner it could technically be before you even get on the car yeah that's sure I, i'm not sure but um yeah so I, I mean i feel like i'm always going right i feel like they never even open up left every time i go on that ride see i feel like i always go left interesting bold oh. All I'll I'll say, always go always go left the time oh. <laughs> Do, do you guys remember the time when the roof wasn't on that room and it was just yes, this mayhem. so loud in that queue because the cars were constantly coming yeah. over? I think it was the 2009 renovation, I think it was, that put the the dark tinted glass above the room on the ceiling. Because, man, when there was no ceiling in that room, it was loud. brutal. Yep. Brutally loud. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, all right. So the ride, you get loaded in your car. You're super excited. Um, as soon as you get on there, the loading station, you make a 180 degree turn, you know, back past the loading area, the queue, and you're kind of in the mission control booth where they kind of, you know, stop you there for a brief moment. Um, 
and then they get ready. So after a few seconds, um, you know, the train rolls down, drops into the strobe tunnel, which is a pulsating like blue light flashes, um, increasing frequency as you go. It makes the effect of you going fast, but you're really not. It's amazing. Um, you're really yeah, you barely moving. you go faster than 28 miles an hour. It's unbelievable. Yeah, but that I think you're going like eight miles per hour at that point. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's <laughs> yep. Uh, so that they progress down the tunnel uh, at the far end. You take a little turn here, um, which then you know you kind of see the stars come up, um, and then you make another 180 turn and you start climbing the lift. And this is actually one of my favorite parts because there's a, there's there's so much happening during the lift right mm-hmm. you have yeah. um you can if you look to the left well first of all you see the astronauts you see the control stations you see all of that stuff you look left you might actually see um the other track whether it's you know the alpha or omega going up next to you if you look down you might actually see the line queue of people walking which you might also see the people mover going by there's there's Correct. for a ride in the pitch black Take in that 10 seconds because there's so much action going on. There's so much cool stuff to see. Um, But as you progress up the hill and you you decide to look straight up, you'll see projections of the sun, Mercury, all the planets, Um, stars, comets, meteors, asteroids, all this stuff that starts going by. and, and, And then once you get to the top, it's like, bam, you all of a sudden are in space, um, the, the ceiling's open. You hear the, the kind of iconic music. You hear the clashing, which takes away a tiny bit. But what are you going to do? It's, it's an old attraction. But you um, also hear those cool, like, laser gun sound effects. Yeah. Like on those toy, toy yep. blasters you used to get as a kid. Absolutely. As you whip around the corners. It, it's yeah, such can a we be honest? sound. It, it, Andrew has done a great job with explaining this ride. But he's like, I oh, just you take that turn. The last time I went on this ride, <laughs> let me tell you something. You didn't just go around the turn you were whipping around these turns before the lift hill it's brutal you get whiplash it's incredible i mean one time i think i was almost out of the car i I got the picture because that's where they take the picture on one of those turns one of the first oh yeah 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 whip around the picture and i'm like completely disheveled looking i gotta see if i can find it i have no idea what's going on and you're sitting there telling me well you know you just Cruising along, nice, nice, eight miles an hour. You know it's, what it it's is? Not, it's brutal. <laughs> and, and, and we'll, we'll, I think we get to the ride, ride cars in a minute. But the ride cars are single and they're small, so every little turn they can get away with doing very oh, tight turns, and uh, yep. they're whipping you around. I, I agree, Bob. Well, well pointed out there. I, I think, I think part of Space Mountain and its roughness that it has compared to some of the other roller coasters is just that it's a much older roller coaster design Correct. than your Everest's and, you know, even the Barnstorm, where these are newer... They've been doing roller coaster design for 30 years in the interim. Yeah. You know? Correct. Your technology By has... By the way, fun fact. Up. Fun fact, since you brought it up. If we're going to grant you that Space Mountain's top speed is 28 miles an hour... Does anybody care to guess the top speed of the Barnstormer? Anyone? Does anyone know? I mean, I, I think 15? I read it. I, I, I'm going to cheat, but I think I know it. It's about 25. 25 miles an hour. And let me tell you something. Space Mountain seems like it's going 100 compared to what you get on the Barnstormer. So here's here's the funny part. The, the I, I don't have it in front of me, but I think the height restrictions are very different between the two rides. They are. They are. Which is kind of crazy. 44 inches. 
Well, I, mean, I think it's just to do with the ride somebody car out. and just I mean, the way it is. Yeah. Well, I you're going to throw it out on an eight miles per hour turn. Never mind. Well, that is true. I mean, I was very disheveled that day. I don't know what the hell got into me, but uh, it was just brutal. I, I got to find the picture because I, I pretty much look like you could have ripped me out of the car. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tell you that, yeah, I mean, it's 44 inches on Space Mountain. And I, I don't even know if I'd have to guess the barnstormer is that yeah the barnstormer is yeah i do the barnstormer is 35 inches now now we're getting to height restrictions you guys both have kids did they do wristbands for what the height it's it's old school they they measure every damn ride that's the stick buddy so here's tim not not to get off topic but you're absolutely correct because there was a day on friday i went on seven dwarfs with my 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 daughter on saturday she's like i want to go back on that ride and they said no because it was a different attendant who measures kids differently so So, it's completely asinine in, in in tokyo if you have little kids you either could take them to any guest services place or there's cast members like right inside main street and they'll measure your kid and give them a green which means they can't go on any height restricted rides yellow which means they can go on like the barnstormer seven dwarfs level ones or a red one which means they can ride anything or when you get to the first height restricted ride without and they don't have a wristband they'll get the wristband and then they don't measure your kid for as long as they're wearing the wristband i just well, figured they not, did that at all the parks. Why not but, get to that so level what, here? So what you're telling me is that the OLC has some great ideas out there in Tokyo that we should be doing in the American parks. Yeah, I, yes. Like no Fast <laughs> Pass <laughs> Plus. Uh, oh, please. We, I think we're due for another episode of Fast Pass Plus, to be honest with you. I, <laughs> I, don't, know that we've, I don't know that we've gotten Tim fired up enough. Where I agree. He, we need to do a Fast Pass Plus episode think, and let I Tim just go down. I think we didn't hear Tim talk about Peter Pan's flight. Oh, that, well, Tim, Tim might be <laughs> hey, sick that episode. Close. We, we were that there. close to it being Peter Pan's flight tonight, but we went Space Mountain instead. The little behind-the-scenes uh, aside, if you will, we we, lo- we were final two were Peter Pan's flight and the Space Mountain. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned for Peter Pan's flight in the distant-ish future because I have no interest in doing it. So uh, Andrew will have to decide that he well, wants uh, to do Peter Pan's flight. We'll see. But so anyway, what, so, yeah. So, Let's get back. Let's get back on track. So back, back to the ride. Once you get past the, the one of my favorite parts up up the um up the up the the the, the hill there, and as Bub alluded to, that is also when they take your picture. So you, you should be like Bub said, that idiot that just just out of the turn, just looking around with your mouth, you know, your jaw dropped. Make sure you're smiling, or because that's when they take your picture. Um, so once you do get to the top, there's a small little dip, and then I hate to say it, but there's about two turns or three turns that to me remind me of like primeval world where you're just trying to go down, you turn 180, you turn 180. I'll with that. You, you can't tell me I'm wrong there. The the, the very which, first... Which reminds me, actually, whenever spring break is happening, missed it in the news this week, Primeval World will be reopening for a weekend at the end of this month, <laughs> oh, in case can't. anyone's well, interested in going on. Book your tickets with Johanna, <laughs> Johanna at Travelmation. Uh, if you want the rare seasonal operation of Primeval World. And if you ask Jordana, I'm sure that's a must-fast pass, too. But, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm sure she... Fa- she, no, actually, no fast pass is available. You have to go standby. I read that as well. You have to go standby. Oh, and so you know, 
Uh, I think it's at least a 48-inch height requirement. It might be higher, I actually. Like I have to stretch it in the park. Yeah, it, it's got some gnarly... Wait, are you guys Let serious? Here. Oh, it really is. I, it's one of the... My kids... Uh, neither of my kids to go on it. No, it is. Oh, God, you God must bless them. 40, they don't need to. You must be at least I, I know, 48 I was inches happy. tall. You must be 48 inches tall. And I think the only ride that's bigger than that is if you want to drive the cars... At the Tomorrowland Speedway, which is actually 54 inches, if you want to drive the cars at the Tomorrowland Speedway. Again, we're all over the place here tonight. Let's get back to Space Mountain, boys. Uh, let's be honest, Andrew, you're absolutely right. I like to think back to the old Carnival Cyclones or the original theme park Cyclones. That, that's kind of what Space Mountain is, in a sense. Uh, the cars are a little bit longer than a traditional Cyclone car, which is mm-hmm. normally uh, a front and front front row, back row, 2-2. Two, two. Uh, this is uh, one, two, three, one, four, uh, two trains, uh, narrow piece. Really, though, I mean... The quick dips, you know, the, the, I mean, the steepest hill here is only 39 degrees. That's the, There's not a lot of steepness, but, man, it whips you around. It, it's such it a does fun it, ride. It has those camel humps, right? And it does – so it, yeah. it, it slows you down with the camel humps, and then it does do the whip and turn. So you get that reality that you're you're going fast, but like yeah, you said, you're, it's you're, such you're not. It's such a fun ride, man. I, I, I mean, that's I what think, I've always thought we, of it. I, as is kind of like a top 10 attraction. I don't think this was in the top 10. It was not. I've always thought of Space Mountain as kind of like the old school wooden roller coasters, but inside and in the dark. And and that's the novelty is that it's that's inside in the dark. But it is very much that old school coaster design. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, and and, and of course, as you end, right, you you, do the trains trying to pass through the, the red swirling wormhole where you hit the final break and, you know, the unloading station. Um, right. And after so unloading the it trains... Is, it is actually... Yeah, it is actually funny, Tim, when you mention that, because I think people forget that the whole point of a chain and a lift hill on these older wooden coasters and, and Space Mountain, and I think even the Matterhorn to, to a point, is is gravity is what pulls you down. The chain lift gets you up, and, and it, it, it's all gravity-based. Yeah. And... It, I was actually watching some some YouTube videos about uh, some of the new roller coasters, some of the giant giga coasters that Kings Island or whatever the hell it is uh, uh, in in Cedar Point out in Ohio is is Kings opening Island? up is this year. King Kong? No, no oh, Kings Island Islands. in Georgia. Kings Island <laughs> yeah, big coaster, coaster guys, park in Georgia. There are a lot of coaster parks around this country, and I mean these things are massive, 200 feet tall. I mean you're talking about this attraction that, yeah, it's 180 feet tall, but there's no drop more than maybe what 15, 20, 30 feet. To yeah. be honest with you, it's just it's all in the design of the ride. So, it's a thrilling experience. It's this. just it's so fun. You you put that ride just outside anywhere. Does oh, the no, right it's suck. probably not even there anymore. No, it, yeah, well, it does not last. I think it's terrible. I think it's no different than the Primeval World. Yeah, no, but I mean, you know, it, it is funny that the we, point of it is we, the theme. We, we crap on Primeval World all day long. It, it's yeah, you're right. This ride is structurally probably no different than Primeval World at the end of the day. But I think the theme and and the story and what it did made it a thousand times better, right? You could take the simple ride and turn it into a masterpiece by but telling it's also, the story. It's, it's such a rite of passage. Like this is, I know for me, this was the first real roller coaster I ever did as a kid, and I think that is the case for so many kids. 
Right. You know, like I once agree. you're once you're big enough to ride Space Mountain, you've made it. You know, you can ride anything mm-hmm. in the parks, and you you're not going to be scared to do it. And and for some reason, that still holds up now, even when we have all these modern yep. thrill coasters at Disneyland or Disney World and Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. So I mean, there's just Andrew. Andrew, let's be honest. Me and you have have spent a lot of time at these parks mm. together, uh, not together, just in general. You know, we've been with our families. We've been me and you a, a few times. We've been when we were wee lads, and I mean, we used to go to the e ride nights back in the day for fifteen, twenty bucks, whatever mm-hmm. it was. We would go thunder splash space thunder splash space. Th- we for no four hours. No ordinary No, four hours. We would skip the entire park. We would go Thunder Splash Space. And it's, I mean, it's just, think about it. And I think we've taken for granted, and and having this conversation with the two of you now, I know for a fact that I take Space Mountain for granted when I don't go on it. Like, I I didn't go on it the last time I went. I said, oh, you know, I've been on it so many times, but I I don't need to wait. And now I'm like... Oh man, it's it, I, I just I just want to get down there and get I'll be on. Honest, it's it's, it's such a fast a great pass. Ride. It is a fast pass for us because me and my wife will actually it's a rider swap for us. So we only mm-hmm. have to use one. We only burn one fast pass on it, um, yeah. and we and we both get the dough on it, and then we'll use one fast pass on Big Thunder Mountain. Those two we burn fast pass on those every trip, and we will continue to do that, um, especially with rider swap. That that's huge for us. So, but um. Yeah, to this day, I agree, Bubba. There is so many memories in this place, and I don't know if I think it was Tim who said it or who you said it, but it is one of your first big roller coasters. But after yeah. the roller coaster is done, there's still a lot more to do and see. Um, yeah, there so is. You, you disembarked on this ride, um, and and the the original concept you used to have these moving walkways. Um, kind of like you do in the airport, so we'll get there. Um, but you went on one of those moving <laughs> platforms, and you went we'll by there, multiple folks. rooms um, and displays. And in 2009, Diorama, it's great. It's, it was it's it was so cool. You know, but again, this, this goes yeah. back to the rite of passage, where where you are walking off of this attraction and you are king guy. You you rode Space Mountain and you're walking by, and they've got the dioramas there. Of, of the space colonies and, and the oh, random yeah. advertisements for the space companies. And it's just, you are the man and it is, you're in space and it is awesome. And you know the sidewalk, it, you know what it does, I mean, Bob? It's like, it's incredible. The whole, the whole lead up to the ride. It's like, I'm going on this mission and mm-hmm. it, it's weird because it's like, when you get off, you're like, I kind of just landed on another planet kind of like i'm seeing all these other things you've seen the the, the cave like mars like you said you've seen the tomorrowland towns and it's like that's You're awesome. a little bit disoriented from yeah you know, the and then you walk in so g-forces the ride itself is not over and i thought that what those moving walkways did was it said it told the guests to wait a minute slow down don't walk. I just want you to stand here Correct. for a minute. I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, ex- I'm gonna let you exit this ride at the pace yep. I tell you you're allowed to exit this ride at. Correct. So it's you one need of the to great take tricks the time. that the Imagineers have ever used. You're absolutely right. Is it, they it forced you to yeah. slow down and they controlled how fast. That's brilliant, Andrew. You're absolutely right on that. Absolutely right. 
So, so what happened was, is when they did one of the the major renovations in 2009, which they did a lot of good stuff, right? They did a lot of, like I said, the the mm-hmm. updated and the projection system, the soundtrack, a lot of that stuff. They decided to take this out. Um, and I, I you know, I no, no, the sidewalk it. stuff in 20, the, no, the moving, uh, the oh, moving sorry, walkway stuff in 2018. They, they right. did change the scenes to more kind of uh, space sporty theme, more universally themed diorama type things in 2009 during the big renovation still fun they had the green screen room and stuff but you're right in 2018 they did take it out and uh we can blame the the asshole next door for that because uh tron going in uh required some space and kind of had some issues with the train tracks and the relocation of the speedway so it did affect the way but the, the uh, I, I don't know if it had to do with drainage or what, but there was an environmental reason for taking them out. But uh, I agree. I mean, that's that's physically why that was that was a physical space restraint. Get it. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, if you look at today's society, today's world, today, when you go to the park, it is go, 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 go. I hate no. to say it, everything I just I said. Missing, I, thought, I think you're missing stuff if you do well, it that way. I see that's I don't why. Disagree, I disagree, but I think I think to keep up with Disney times or, or society times, that's what that's what changes are happening. Whether we like them or not, that's what happened is across the parts. I mean, look at we, we they got rid of an interactive line queue for a phone line that you're adapting to the times, and mm-hmm. I think that again, this was a physical. Rest- space restraint i think that is one of the reasons why they didn't make it work somewhere else but i will say the the uh the new ramps that they have there that area where you don't you don't zigzag the ramps certainly spared no expense on the ramps they're very nice look look up those those little chandeliers i'll never get tired (laughs) those things are spectacular um they're super cool so once you get out of there you kind of travel back to ground level now because of the ramps and you, um, you, you're kind of entering, what do you get? You're ready in for the gift shop, right? I mean, it's pretty much throws you, um, over at the gift shop area where it's a decent gift shop, I guess you could say. Um, no, that's where the stuff. maid, uh, that's where one of the maid stations is. Oh, that's right. That's you right. Can the new design your own stuff. It used to be much cool. It used to be a little arcade in there, and then they kind of took out a lot of the arcade games. It used to be an arcade for a while. Absolutely. Uh, the Tomorrowland uh, Power and Light Company, I believe, was what it was called. Again, ah, all yes, themed yes, yes, to yes, yep. the future. Yep, really fun stuff. But, but, um, but, again, I, I think, you know, I mean, the gift shop is actually, I actually have a Donald Duck Spaceman Donald Duck somewhere in one of my bins of Disney stuff downstairs still to this day that I've had so god probably since 1997 or so but it was it's really just um it's a nice little gift shop again a lot of it now is centered around designing phone cases or or t-shirts and stuff like that but it's it's fine for what it is I I think that you know I think you've lost a little of the storytelling when you, you had the last renovation in 20, uh, 2018, I think a lot of that post-show, um, not interactivity, but the, the, the post-show design itself mm-hmm. did get a little more, um, uh, not homogenized, maybe sterilized, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. But just it's, it's just a little bit more general and a little less ride-specific than it used to be. Mm-hmm. I, I, I definitely agree, but at the same time, you said a lot of it's focused on making phone cases. This is one of 
the two locations in all the Disney parks where they have the newest version of that made stuff that just started, what, three weeks ago. But it, but it's coming to like seven locations, Tim. Right. But yeah. I think it's cool that in the futuristic gift shop is where Correct. you have this first place where you can, you know, design your own T-shirt and have it made, you know, right in front of your eyes. True. You know what, I, Tim? I want to play games from the 80s in my futuristic <laughs> baseboard, okay? All right, uh, Tim? All right. I hear you. <laughs> but, all right. Um, one more little subtopic here to, to, before we wrap up the overall portion of it. So, Bob, why don't you kind of take us through the ride cards and the evolutions they've kind of gone through over the years? Yeah, so we initially had, you know, the 32-car trains, uh, although, you know, 15 for each track, you know, 13 were on the track or in operation at any given time on each on each of the tracks with two for spares. Uh, each train consisted of uh, two of the single-file rocket-shaped. Um, from 1975, from its, its opening to 1989, like we discussed earlier, that they did replace the cars in 89, the trains featured two seats, uh, two seats with each seat designed to hold two passengers. Uh, the front passenger rode in the rear passenger's lap, so hopefully you knew the person, which was very similar to the Matterhorn bobsled ride. Uh, total capacity of eight passengers per train, and each rider had his or her own personal restraint. Um, in 1989, the current trains were introduced. They were externally and cosmetically very similar to the originals. Uh, still consisted of the two rockets joined together, but the riders were then single file. Uh, and the current trains have three seats per car with one person per seat, reducing each train's potential capacity from eight riders to six. Uh, in 1989, the vehicles did introduce the lap bars, originally using a design with two metal bars on each side of the 1998. Those things were a damn death trap, those metal bars oh, yeah. that you kind of oh, connected yeah. in the middle. Those things were brutal. Uh, and then they had the current T-bar style, which is, I think, part of the reason I feel like I'm falling out every time I go around a corner now. Um, the trains were originally, again, painted white, which we did kind of discuss when we were talking about the different variations of Tomorrowland and how the, and how the theming worked with the overall art, the overarching story of Tomorrowland. In the 2009 refurbishment, they did receive new seat fabric and were repainted in that blue-gray color scheme that we now know as the Tomorrowland, you know, blue and gray, which I think we're seeing a little more of except mm -hmm. at that purple Instagram wall. But you'll see a lot of the blue and the gray and the rock work out among it. So it is interesting because everything I've seen with the Tomorrowland redesign, uh, I, I would say in anticipation for Tron, um, I, I would say is kind of going back to a little bit more white. Uh, mm -hmm. so the signs that they've the signs they've put up the new you know landmark signs have that original uh, Tomorrowland feel to the a little a little bit different than the Buck Rogers uh, blue gray and purples that we had uh, in the mid '90s up to uh, you know the mid the mid aughts as it were. So um, you know the ride I don't know that this is the most comfortable car on uh, no. the property. I will say um, Space Mountain in Tokyo Disneyland is remarkably similar to this. Very same, similar track, similar feel to the ride and stuff. But they have uh, a much more traditional four per car, two and two side by side with like a, yeah. a modern lap bar. Which is Disneyland as well, right? Uh, I don't know. I'll yeah, they have it the same way. They yeah, have I think side by side. That, I think, but really, I will say it, it didn't if, feel like Space Mountain. Like it's not something the same. of 
Yeah, something about the ride right. is riding in those narrow rockets with, you know, in front of the person behind you sort of thing. I 100% agree right. with you there. Well, that's it, Tim. So that kind of adds again to, like we said, when you felt like, a you know, the big guy on campus where you were going on your mission. It was much more of an interpersonal experience. It was much well, more of a singular experience uh, then well, I think, think about it would that. be if you were sitting next to someone. How many how many roller coasters that you could name right now are a single file type, you know, ride system? Well, there aren't many. There, that, there really aren't. I mean, I that I know I of, totally I can't really speak to any of them. You know, right. you know, you think of like the old school flume rides, even. You know, those those it's the same concept, right? Where you you, you feel like you're kind of rocking like a, the boat, like you know, and you feel more interactive with it. Uh-huh. Man, I I love a good flume. I can't wait to do an episode like this on Splash Mountain. That might be four hours long. Uh, so, anyways, Bob, that I mean, great great research there on the tri- uh, the right cars. And why don't you tell us a little bit about um, the sponsorships that helped make Space Mountain even happen? Yeah. So I don't want to bore you all to tears with this. So I'm going to give you the the real Reader's Digest version from 1975 to 1993. Space Mountain was sponsored by RCA. Initially, uh, to help cover the cost, the cup cover the cost of developing and building Space Mountain, Card Walker, the CEO of Walt Disney Productions at the time, convinced RCA Chairman Robert Sarnoff to sponsor the new attraction. Uh, in exchange, um, RCA was the uh, official communications hardware provider uh, to Walt Disney World Resort, and the contract said that his, if Disney presented an attraction of interest, RCA would pay $10 million to support it. Um, $10 million in 1970 money is is, is, a, is a good sum of money. Um, so ultimately, I, I think we did have a lot of different color schemes with RCA, reds, yellows, orange, and stuff like that. When, when RCA did give up the sponsorship in 93 fedex picked it up um fedex picked it up for uh, from 1994 through i want to say 2005 it might have been earlier than that i i i I know that the fedex footage from like the crazy larry's spaceship you know fake commercials in the videos um were certainly uh, FedEx themed up through 2005. I want to say it might have been a, a year or two before that that FedEx actually uh, left as presenting sponsor. And I will tell you this: um, I, I I don't believe we've had a sponsor since that time frame for Space Mountain. So if there's any companies out there listening and looking for a sponsorship deal to help Disney pay for a modification to Space Mountain, reach out to Bob Chapik at Bob. C at Disney at the Walt Disney Company dot com and he true. will answer any emails you send him. Um, so the, the the existing infrastructure has never really changed beginning to end. Um, like we said, some of the kind of overall um, color schemes changed. RCA changed it two or three times. FedEx once or twice, uh, but nothing really crazy, really guys uh, that you would notice. I mean, if you're a, a real like in-depth parks guy, you'd know that the, you know, presented by RCA and presented by FedEx were on the signs and the logos were there, but nothing out of control. Um, 
I will say during the 2009 refurbishment, that was when the Skyway terminal was was finally, uh, well, for the most part, demolished after it sat abandoned for years. Because you do forget that in that entry plaza, kind of off to the right, where now it's kind of like some rock work and some, like I think there's a monolith over that way now too, was the Skyway terminal for the Tomorrowland mm, to right. Fantasyland Skyway. So it is really... Um, interesting it took them that long for that for that building to be taken down um so andrew uh, tim you know anything that really stuck out to you guys and again it's such an inconsequential thing because it yeah it wasn't a a branding or a sponsorship that really beat you over the head no it wasn't uh, but wasn't, I, I, i'm know. gonna say it and i'm always gonna say that what a genius business model to have yeah. someone else donate money for you to make money yeah, like but, but think genius. about this but think about this. RCA, big company, ten million bucks. They build the most iconic attraction on on Disney property. For for argument's sake, it is the most iconic ride on property. I mean, you could argue some other attractions, but yeah. for the sake of this conversation, Space Mountain is probably the icon of all icons mm-hmm. in terms of attractions. RCA will forever be linked with that, and so will FedEx. I, I think it's a small price to pay. I mean, the question you have to ask yourself, though, Andrew, and I think this is what you're kind of getting to, yep. is, is I already know what the hell FedEx does. I don't know how that translates to Space Mountain. And, and RCA, maybe at the time, but RCA is a fairly well-known company, too. So so what did I mean, I think FedEx and RCA get out of the relationship? I mean, I think that's marketing in general, right? I mean, it, Correct. It, I mean, if I need to deliver a package, it's either FedEx or UPS. Seeing the name FedEx isn't going to do it for me. It's, it's whatever's yeah, closer to my house. But that's you, marketing 101. I mean, that's different. You, you have, like, I Correct. think what they get out of it is just tens of thousands of eyes on their logo – Every single Correct. day. Correct. Hey, you know what? If they were still doing it, they get about 55 million sets of eyeballs a year on, yeah. on FedEx and or RCA's logo. So you're right. Okay. Uh, I don't disagree with that. But again, I never really fully grasped the idea of of fully and again, I, whatever I'm saying about myself oh. here. But the, the whole concept of marketing a theme park attraction, especially in FedEx's regard, it's not like this is an attraction based on how to deliver packages in a fast way. RCA at least kind of makes sense from a technological standpoint. I don't know how the hell FedEx fits in there other than they cut a check. Kind of like Ziploc sponsoring uh, Splash Mountain. Well, so your, your phone doesn't yeah. get wet. <laughs> I, right. That's quite so, genius. Right. So that's anyway. fair. So, so let's go one step further with this, though. Hewlett Packard and Mission Space kind of makes sense because you need a lot of computing power to launch a rocket. Uh, Chevrolet and Test Track makes a ton of sense. AT and T at Spaceship Earth makes sense as it's a communications thing well, Siemens overall when Siemens took that sponsorship over of Spaceship Earth made sense because of what maybe, Siemens did as a company maybe FedEx was trying to get into the space delivery hey you know what <laughs> if it's the story we're going to go with it maybe they were maybe maybe Crazy Larry used them to ship his used space parts maybe they just jumped on that bandwagon a little too early maybe they thought the space travel and stuff was going to blow up and they'd be the face of space shipping I don't so what know. You're, what you're saying is we need we need SpaceX or Virgin Galactic to start picking up the tab for uh, yeah. SpaceX. You know, space you know, see, 
Tim, there you go. SpaceX, please reach out to Bob Chapek and let him know you're well, looking to sponsor an attraction. Tesla is already going to be sponsoring the Speedway starting huh? soon-ish. Those are the rumors we're hearing, Tim. Rumors. Those, and I'm – listen – I'm hopeful that they actually put Teslas in that attraction, so it's actually in the future at this point. People are trying to steal them. People are No one's trying to steal them. They're still on the track. What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> anyway, we are going to go to Andrew's favorite part of the night, yes. where we talk about potpourri, which, for some reason, that name stuck with this part of the uh, uh, conversation. This is where we talk about fun facts, maybe a little bit about global versions, because we at least have to mention what the hell Paris has for Space Mountain, because that ride is off the wall. Um, you know, some recommended media, or at least one book that we would recommend if you wanted to do more reading on Space Mountain or mountains in general. And uh, Andrew's favorite part of Potpourri, Incidents, because this ride is borderline deadly. So let's, uh, Andrew... T- take us away. All right. So, so you're right, Bob. If you are looking for a good read, um, there, there's a book out there called The Disney Mountains by Imagineerin at its peak. Um, it's a book by uh, Jason Sorrell, and it's a um, really good book uh, about uh, the Imagineerin of all the mountains. Yeah. So definitely look yeah, at that. Yeah, Jason Sorrell writes a lot of good stuff for Disney. I think he actually mm-hmm. wrote the Haunted Mansion book you have as well. Yeah, that's pretty um, cool. Jason Sorrell writes a lot he of did. good yeah yep and and he's in i believe he was an imagineer at one point or at least worked in the imaginary department so he's plugged in a lot of great information in that book in particular disney mountains imagineering at its peak uh can be found on amazon and ebay for fairly uh reasonable fairly affordable prices and i think you might actually still find it in the parks as well absolutely um so, so some other fun facts here. So when, when you board the train in the starport, um, it's actually starport number seven, five, which is, um, you know, a nod to the, to the attraction open in 1975. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's pretty nifty. Uh, let's see here. So when Disneyland started working on their version of the ride, they called it, uh, Mercury nine or Gemini five astronaut Gordon Cooper was a creative consultant. Now, here, get this. He said, he claimed, yeah, this guy. Space Mountain is about as close as you can safely get to actually being in space. All right, little that sounds like know, a marketing line. Little did he, he know Mission Space was going to open. He had never been on Mission Space at that point, okay? Well, 30 <laughs> years too early. Yeah. Um. All right, let's see what else we've got here. So Imagineers use uh, computers to create the path of each track, making the ride feel as much as it was to feel like flight as possible. The innovation um, wasn't limited to just the design phase. It also became the first roller coaster in history to be controlled by computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we kind of already talked about the match speed here. Let's see. Um, this was actually the first roller coaster ever to be entirely indoors. Um, here's a fun one for you. The structural beams um, are outside of the of the ceiling, if you want to call it, um, instead of the inside. The main reason for this was that the lighting effects needed a smooth surface to really pull off the effects of the comets and space scenes. So the, the supports, um, if you put them inside, would have prevented that smooth surface. It probably would have screwed up the projection mapping, um, and you would have seen a lot of black spaces. So. Um, again, it is certainly not how people would ever design a building in real life, but no. here we are, folks. Here we Definitely are. Definitely a big Another part of nod. this iconic look, though. 
Oh, Correct. absolutely. Yeah, I, yep. I, I think it works. I think it works on that build. I think that There's actually. One. I think it actually gives the the build in that futuristic look because you don't see that every day, you know. So allegedly, the Imagineers took inspiration from Mount Fuji when they were building uh, when they were building Space Mountain. That's actually the quote unquote. Uh, real life version of Space Mountain, as it were. If you look at Mount Fuji, uh, the, the right way, apparently it is very, uh, very similar in its sight lines and the design aspect of it is uh, certainly uh, pretty cool to hear that, though. Pretty cool, because obviously with you know Everest, you, you have Everest, and we know the story of of Thunder Mountain is really set in Monument Valley. There, the two of them are, are various places, so it's cool to see the Space Mountain even to this point, takes its lead from an actual physical mountain. That's pretty cool. Well, so. you can call it what you want. I'm going to call it Death Mountain. And I'm calling it Death Mountain for the next few fans. Oh, boy. Dude, uh, next, yeah, we got a few of these. Hang on tight. So I'm going to go quick, because I saw them kind of depressing, to be honest. Um, August 12, 1980, a 10-year-old girl from Venezuela became ill while riding Space Mountain. She later died of a pre-existent heart condition from lack of oxygen. 1998, a 37-year-old man was hit in the head by a fallen object. What the? His left arm went paralyzed permanently. He suffered from short-term memory loss. Um, Two objects were later discovered at the bottom of the floor. Um, A camera, and this is 1998 camera. We're not talking like a nice little digital camera. Um, And a candle. A candle from Frontierland. Bob, are you talking like a lantern? What does that really mean? Uh, I believe we're talking about when Frontierland had like the candle dipping areas. I, I'm not positive. Don't hold me. I listen. I don't write the facts. I just report them. So. Well, that sucks. Um, I'm sure that guy got settlement. Anyway, compensated. <laughs> you got compensated. August first, two thousand and six. A six-year-old boy uh, fainted after riding Space Mountain and was taken to Celebration Hospital, where unfortunately he later passed away. Um, the victim was actually a terminal cancer patient, visited the Magic Kingdom as part of a Give Kids World program. Um, so the, the medical examiners reported showed that he died of natural causes due to uh, uh, a metastatic pulmonary blastoma tumor. Sure. Well, you know, I could say Ohana names, but I can't say medical terms. I'm not sure you can say Ohana names. We're still waiting to hear from Katie De- Lapier or, or Desiree. Lepre, if you're out there. Desiree. We think sure. it's Katie Lapier, but we're not sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, on December 7, 2006, a 73-year-old man lost consciousness while riding Space Mountain. He was later transported to a hospital and died three days later. Medical examiner found that the man died of natural causes... To do heart conditions. Uh, and the last one here, July 7, 2015, a 55-year-old woman from Tennessee, um, she died from the cardiopulmonary arrest and uh, septic shock. <laughs> Guy can pull off cardiopulmonary, but can't <laughs> say the name LaPierre. Go figure. Uh, at Florida Hospital Celebration, after losing consciousness while on the ride, according to mental examiner, her mental history showed a history of hyper hypertension and um, congestive heart failure. So the, 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 the reoccurring theme here is none of these were Disney's fault. Just saying. Except for maybe that well, candle yeah, and camera. Yeah, the 37-year-old oh, no. definitely got settled by Disney. But my, my take on that is some other a-hole on another rocket dropped it. 
That's not Disney's fault. So, did you know that one of the most common things they find at the bottom of Space Mountain, believe it or not, are sets of dentures? Yeah. Well, Gross. That, yeah. that is disgusting. Did they reuse them? <laughs> no. Probably not. <laughs> did they put them in Lost and Found? Probably for 60 days or however long you need to. I don't even claim. We'd have to, we'd have to double check. How do you know, know if it's yours? Where's Mikey when you need him? What if there's Mikey. more than one? Can you like can you ID that? Yeah, let me. It's like Cinderella's slipper. <laughs> All right. Well, that that is gonna wrap up Space Mountain. The last thing I want to say is it's just the the Imagineering of this attraction it is truly is mind blowing and phenomenal to me with the interaction of the, of the people mover and going underground and the architecture of the building itself. I think Walt's vision, um, we talked about walking with Walt last week. I think this is something also, Bob, um, he would be super, super proud of. And I wish he kind uh, of, yeah, he'd be thrilled. Uh, I think, I think mm-hmm. that is one of the few rides left that I think held to its original heart and original idea and it, it truly is a masterpiece and will always be a masterpiece. Um, you guys have any other last words for Space Mountain? I, I have one thing real quick. Um, I think Space Mountain, you cannot understate how groundbreaking and precedent-setting this attraction is. I mean, this is really your the first indoor roller coaster in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that's kind of Disney's thing because they don't like to do just – plain roller coasters so i mean the newest latest and greatest roller coasters going to the park are both indoor space coasters we have tron and we have guardians of the galaxy and i mean that would not even be remotely possible without space mountain and also just from a logistics point of view you have if you look at some of these rides slinky dog in the summer in florida when there's going to be a thunderstorm sometime between 11 and 3 p.m every day they have to shut that ride down for hours and lose all this time and reissue people uh, multiple experience fast passes that can be used on any of the e-tickets. And that just never happens with Space Mountain. I mean, you could be in the middle of any kind of storm and Space Mountain is still going to run. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this, this ride really did set the precedent and really seems to be the direction. I mean, most Disney coasters have a, a pretty big indoor component uh, because of this. Agreed. Well yeah, I, I would say for me that the the key couple points for me would be that uh, if you've got the experience of going on Space Mountain, as we've described it, it is an excellent ride. If you go on it with the lights on, some of the charm is gone. And I've been mm. on it with the lights on. It's not the same attraction when you can see where you're going. Agreed. That's all. That's all I'm gonna what, say. What, what context have you been on with the, the lights on? The lights are on for whatever reason. Either there's a power failure or oh, whatever. Okay. But they didn't want to shut down the ride. I've seen that. Yep. Right. I, actually, yep. I've been on it. I, I, Bob, like you said, me and you have probably been on this ride more than almost any other ride. And that I have I I've had close. done that yep. before. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Um, all right. Well, I mean, that is Space Mountain. Well done, guys. Awesome. But let's head on over to the random House of Mouse. Yes, the Random House of Mouse is back again with a blast from the past and really 
kind of ties in with tonight's topic of Space Mountain and the traveling you do, because we're going to talk about travel and airline travel in particular. Uh, for those of us that stay on site, and that's not Tim, so me and Andrew can talk about it. <laughs> taking Disney's Magical Express is one of the best parts of the trip allegedly. You don't have to worry about your luggage or booking transportation as Disney does this for you. Right when you hop off your bus, you've arrived at your Disney resort and are completely immersed in the Disney bubble. But did you know this wasn't originally the plan for Walt Disney World Airport transportation? Disney used to have flights land directly on property. Imagine being able to step off a plane and be within minutes of Magic Kingdom, Bay Lake, and Seven Seas Lagoon. I guess the question you would have is, why did Disney need an airport? Well, Orlando was relatively underdeveloped at the time of resort construction, and the airport we fly into today, Orlando International, did not exist. When Walt Disney World opened, the Orlando Airport was called Orlando Jetport at McCoy and was a civil-military joint operation that shared the ground with McCoy Air Force Base. Hence the MCO, it's McCoy International Airport. The Lake Buena Vista Stallport was the final destination for guests traveling to Disney with the Jetport at McCoy a short layover. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Disney Guys Uncensored Spotlight on the Walt Disney World Airport that you didn't know existed. So the Walt Disney World Airport, also known as Lake Buena Vista Airport and Lake Buena Vista Stolport, is a former small airfield owned by the Walt Disney Company located within Walt Disney World, just east of the former Walt Disney World Speedway, for a current reference point that's just southeast of the contemporary and for anyone keeping score at home, if we've added the Play App episode to a list, can we actually add an episode about the Walt Disney World Speedway? Because that would be fascinating for maybe 17 people. <laughs> when it was active, it accommodated smaller computer commuter airlines, such as the De Havilland Canada, the DHC-6 Twin Otter turboprop, which had stall capabilities. And stall in this instance is short takeoff and landing. Uh, they could operate from airfields with short runways, with such airports being known as stall ports. Lake Buena Vista Airport was built in 1971 to serve as the stall airfield for Walt Disney World guests and employees, with scheduled passenger service to Orlando Jetport at McCoy, now Orlando International Airport, and Tampa International, provided by Shawnee Airlines. The Shawnee Airlines service is actually mentioned in the Air Commuter Service section of the September 6th, 1972 Eastern Airlines System timetable as a connecting service to and from Eastern flights at Orlando and Tampa. The airport was never really large, with only enough ramp space at the passenger terminal to accommodate four, aircra four aircraft at a time, and no hangar space was ever built. The Stoll Airfield was intended as a proof of concept for a planned but ultimately rejected vision of a larger full-service airport within Walt Disney World itself. Specifically, it would have been a regional four-runway airport at Epcot. After Walt's passing, this plan never came to fruition. The later release plans for Epcot were significantly scaled down and did not include this airport. All passenger service to the Stoll Port was discontinued by the largely due to extensions of the Walt Disney World monorail system on either side. 
Originally used as a surprise to airline guests, the runway featured a set of grooves, not unlike those on the side of the highway when you've had too much to drink. <laughs> These grooves did play when you wish upon a star when driven over roughly at 45 miles per hour. The singing grooves were removed in 2008. As of 2003, flight operations are prohibited by a no-fly zone. However, the runway is fully intact and may be visible to motorists traveling along World Drive toward the Transportation and Ticket Center, as well as passengers on the monorail. The Stoll Port is no longer registered as an active airport by the FAA, the ICAO, and the IATA, and as of December of 2017, it serves Walt Disney World as a parking and storage lot. Obviously, guys, a very interesting option for transportation into and onto Walt Disney World property. I, I can't imagine that even if they had had a proof of concept and Epcot had been built accordingly, that a four-runway airport would have sustained the amount of people flying into the Orlando area. I mean, the parks get 55 million visitors a year. Um, so it, it really... I don't know that a private airport would have worked out for Disney the way they had intended, but it is interesting to wonder, guys. What if? Yeah, I, absolutely, Bob. You know, it's something that we will always wonder, and we'll never know. Um, but uh, I think the Orlando International does a well job at, at getting us around. So thank you so much for that amazing facts, and hopefully everyone out there learned a thing or two, because I know sometimes Bob even teaches me a thing or two. And that is the main purpose of Random House of Mouse. But that is going to wrap up this week's episode of Space Mountain. We hope you guys enjoyed this new take on full episode uh, Spotlight Adventures. We're going to continue to do these in the future with more and cooler and different rides. So definitely give us some feedback. If you have questions or comments about Space Mountain or in general any ride, let us know at the Disney Guys Uncensored at gmail.com. If you'd like to see a particular ride that we do a spotlight on, let us know. And always, remember to reach out our buddy, our friend, our host, Jordana Izzo from the Disney Eyes Uncensored and Travelmation, an authorized Disney vacation planner who is now earmarked platinum status with Disney destinations. You can reach her at Jordana Izzo at Travelmation.net, and you can get yourself one of those amazing Wilderness Large discounts. Now, we can be found on all social media platforms, including Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, and that's right, even now we found on YouTube, thanks to good old Tim Candy. Thank you, Tim, for setting that up and getting some videos out and more to come on that. Um, as always, be sure to check us out at Redbubble, uh, where you can get some super cool merchandise. And it's also Patreon. If you want to support us, head on over there to uh, give us a dollar or two or, or ten. Who knows? Um, and all of these things, including our usernames and links, can all be found in the show notes of this episode. Wherever you're listening to, go to details, and you'll see all the links that you can click right there. But lastly, and not least, remember to vote, vote, vote. for the Tell your friends. Things. Tell a friend. Tell a co-worker. Tell your mom. Tell your dad. Tell your grandma. Tell your kids. I had my kids vote. They might vote. And all you need to do is say, which ones do you like better? Um... You know, so definitely head on over and vote for the Disney Character Madness. Again, Instagram, Twitter, or on Facebook, Google Polls. So, we hope you enjoyed this amazing spotlight on Space Mountain, and thanks for listening to The Disney Guys Uncensored. Yeah.